live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, here's what I did want to talk about, though. What I thought that I would talk about at the very top. It's been a minute since I shouted out my dude, Joel Embiid. And it's been a minute too long. Because if you have not noticed, my dude Joel has been on a whole other level lately. My man's on one. If you haven't noticed, my dude Joel is playing the best ball of his entire career. If you haven't noticed, Joel is the best basketball player in the world right now. Oh, that's a hot take. Not nearly as hot as saying water tastes great. Anyway, Joel. Joel goes into last night with the best odds to win the MVP. That was before the game. Best odds to win the MVP, despite the fact that the two-time reigning MVP is .2 assists per game away from averaging a triple-double as a center for the number one seed in the West. All right, think about that for a minute. As the kids like to say, marinate on that for a minute. This guy is this close to averaging a triple-double for the number one seed, and he's not the favorite to win the MVP. And he's the two-time reigning MVP. So that's how it was going into last night's game. In any other season in the history of the association, the Joker resume is more than enough to easily rip the MVP. Except this is not just any other season or any other MVP race. Jokic has been incredible. So has Giannis. I'm not saying otherwise. Joel, though, has been even better. Joel was already holding the scoring lead and was already the MVP betting favorite before he went absolutely thermonuclear against the Celtics last night, and he did it on national TV. So before Joel basically ended the MVP debate, he had the lead going in. Except now it's his. I mean, give this guy the hardware right now. Give this guy the hardware before I even finish the Open. Give it to him now. 52 points, 13 boards, 6 dimes, and 20 of 25 from the field. Only one other player has ever put up at least 50, 10, and 5 on 80% shooting. Only one other guy's ever done that in the history of the game. And that guy's name is Wilt Distilled. Last night also made Joel the first center to post three 50-point games in a single season since Kareem did it back in 71-72. So you know you're doing something really right and truly amazing when you're in the exclusive clubs with Kareem and Wilt. The dude has been an incredible player since day one, especially when healthy, but he somehow, someway has found an entirely different level this year. An extra gear than most thought that he just didn't have because he'd already maxed out. He'd already hit his ceiling. The ceiling is the roof. It is. It is. And water tastes great. So I've got to agree with Doc Rivers when he says that the MVP race effectively ended last night. The MVP race is over. I, I, I'm really. Like tonight, we, had, we couldn't make shots. We had guys making shots, uh, would open shots. The man just scored half our points in the NBA game. Um, And I'm biased, but the MVP race is over. What are you going to tell me next, Doc? The water tastes great? That Doc's not wrong. He's biased, but he's not wrong. And you don't have to take it from me either or him. Just take it from Vegas because they're rarely wrong. 
They weren't wrong in the championship game, man. They got their asses kicked, didn't they? Everybody was on UConn. But take it from Vegas, because as of this morning, Joel's MVP odds shot all the way up to around minus 600. Minus 600 effectively means he's already won, which means Vegas most definitely agrees with Doc. The race is over. Trust that process. Trust the minus 600 process. And look, again, I'm not trying to take anything away from the Joker or Giannis. They both have had mind-boggling seasons, incredible seasons. I don't think there's necessarily a wrong choice for MVP, but there certainly is a right choice, and the right choice is Joel. Like I said, why haven't they given it to him already? The hardware should be in his hands before I get to the end of this Open. But again... If I'm not a credible enough source and you need to hear it from somebody else, then get it and take it from two-time MVP. A two-time MVP would know exactly what it takes to win the MVP, so don't take it from me. Take it from two-time MVP, Steph Curry. Hey, Jim Rome. This is- hey, Steph Curry. Hey, Jim Rome. Hey, Steph, are you there? Hey, Jim Rome. Yo, what up, Steph? Hey, Jim Rome, this is Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors. In case you (laughs) forgot, I wanted to remind you of what the NBA is. What is this, Steph? A man's game. Hey, Steph Curry. This is Jim Rome of the Jim Rome Show. You know what the Jim Rome Show is? Straight fire. Man's game. Hey, yo, what up, Steph? Thanks for checking in. Hey, Jim Rome. Hey, Hey, Steph Curry. Hey, Jim Rome. Hey, Steph Curry. Hey, Jim Rome. Hey, Steph Curry. Hey, Jim Rome. Hey, listen, man, all good on this end. Thanks for asking, Hall of Famer. Thanks for asking, legend. Hey, Jim Rome. Just chilling. Hey, Steph Curry. Hey, Jim Rome. Steph. Hey, Jim Rome. Hey, hold up. Hey, Jim Rome. Steph, Steph, hold up, man. Hey, Jim Rome. Hey, Jim Rome. This is Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors. Hey, Steph Curry. Hey, Steph Curry. Hey, Steph Curry. This is Jim Rome, the Jim Rome Radio Show. Man, Listen, game. what I'm trying to do, Steph, I'm trying to read your great take on the MVP race via Bleacher Report. Here it is. Steph said, quote, Any person you pick, their body of work can be compared to Jokic or Giannis. But Joel took a leap that I think a lot of people didn't expect because he was dominant already. That leap turned heads and put Philly in a great position. If I had a pick, it would be him. End of quote. Hey, Steph Curry. Hey, Jim Rome. Thanks for backing me up on that. There you go. I'm with Steph. And not only has Joel had a ridiculously dominant season. Kind of ridiculous. He's finishing that with that kind of ridiculous dominant season with even more ridiculous dominance. And the same is not exactly the the same is not exactly to be said about Denver, right? I mean they are looking at that one seed, but the vibes on the other hand there are not exactly the same in the sense that Jokic has missed three games and then came back with a dud last night in a rough loss to the Rockets. A loss so rough that it led to a post-game reaction from Michael Malone where he lit his own guys up. Well, I'm definitely going to say something. That's my job as a head coach. You know, I'm not going to, you know, just say, it's okay, guys, bring it in. No, that's BS. You know, um, know, when we don't do our jobs, there's accountability. And I speak the truth. And me calling us soft tonight isn't something I'm saying to you. I just told our team that. And I dared somebody to challenge me that it wasn't true. And no one did. Because we as a group were soft tonight. 
that I'm not saying we are soft, but tonight we were. Hell yes. I love that so much. That was so awesome what he just said. He just said, I'm not calling them soft to you. I called them soft to their face. And then I dared them to tell me that we were not. I dared them to tell me it's not true. And none of them did. That's badass. I love that. He made that very clear. We were soft tonight. And he made it clear also. I'm not saying we're soft. I'm saying we were soft tonight. And I'm not just coming out here and making that message known through the media. I said it to their faces before I said it to you. I love that. Especially since we're talking about a team that could have clinched the one seed in the West last night. Because anybody taking their foot off the gas with Michael Malone in charge is going to get Michael Malone's boot up their ass. Kind of like one guy gets their ass chewed. We all get our asses chewed. We as a group were soft tonight. He also said that the Joker, quote, struggled last night in his return. And unfortunately for the two-time reigning MVP, limping to the finish line is not going to cut it in the MVP race, especially when Joel is finishing like a freight train. And he is. Congrats, big fella. You now just won your first MVP. Others might be deserving, but nobody is more deserving than you. Looking forward to what I know will be a great acceptance speech, big dude. The MVP race is over. It is over. Trust the process. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. Their head coach is Lance Leipold. He joins me once again. Lance, good to have you back on the show. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Well, thank you, Jim. It's great to be with you as well, and uh, we're doing well here in Lawrence. Good. Why don't I get a little more specific with you? Spring practice is nearing its end, so how has spring practice gone from your standpoint? What have been some of your biggest takeaways from the last couple of weeks? Well, you know, the thing that we wanted to really address is is trying to be a more physical football team this spring, and our players have really embraced it. I think in, you know, my nine spring practices now at the FBS level, it's been by far our most physical spring practice approach. Um, we had 118 players going through spring, which has really given us a, a great opportunity to get a lot of reps. We've been doing uh, – two and three huddle team segments. And and I think it's really going to help us as we approach fall camp. That's been the most probably uh, important thing as well as implementing and uh, integrating our, our transfers and newcomers to our program. You know, that's it's interesting. I had a conversation with Mac Brown last week and he said almost the same thing, that they were looking to be more physical. And he talked about us integrating players into the program. So his answer was almost the same as yours. You know, you and I have not spoken since that thriller that game you lost to Arkansas in OT in the Liberty Bowl. Obviously, that's not the outcome you were looking for, but your team did overcome a 25-point deficit in the second half to force that OT. So I'm asking, can you have a seminal moment or a signature game for a program in a game that you lose? And if so, might that be that? 
I think that's a great point. I, I think it can be. I think it will be because this program has come so far in such a short period of time. You know, we started off the season fast, kind of hit a lull, especially after we lost Jalen Daniels, battled back to, you know, to upset Oklahoma State ranked team at the time to get bowl eligibility, but then kind of hit the skids a little bit. Um, to be down 25 in a bowl game, as you well know, there's a lot of times where guys would kind of pack it in, play it out, um, get ready for the next year. You know, we challenged our guys at halftime, and I can't tell you how proud I was of them to keep battling back, get that game into overtime. And, and I think it also propelled us enough in the confidence area, again, who we can line up against, but also motivate us in a way that we're, we we have to find a way to, to close those games out and close the difference. No, I bet. And what a great game that was, an amazing game. I'm glad you mentioned your quarterback, Jalen Daniels. He had an enormous day that day. He set a school record when he passed for 544 yards. He was getting some early Heisman buzz last season before he suffered that shoulder injury. What's his physical status right now? And then what are your expectations? from him on the field if he's fortunate enough to stay healthy well you know that's a great question you know he's we started off spring with him kind of moderate moderate, you know keeping his reps down watching how we're doing it um we went two weeks then we had spring break and he came back off of the spring break and he's full go all the time he's making all the throws he made in early August and September last year, you know, and, and Jim, he not only is he an outstanding football player, he's a great human being. He's a great leader. He's humble. And he's got that charisma and leadership style that our, that our team needs and really rallies around. And, and I'm really looking forward to him to, to kind of, take off uh, early next season like he started last year. So, Lance, we're talking about some of the additions. You referenced the additions to the program. Here's a key addition. Sean Snyder, a former K-State player who happens to be the son of Bill (laughs) Snyder. You're going to bring him in. He's going to be a part of your staff, an important part of your staff. What do you like best about Sean, and then how does he make you and the program better? Well, I I think there's a lot of things that Sean's going to bring to our program, and and we're just, you know, it's – it's been a little over, you know, not even a week yet since it's happened. But we, we explored the the opportunity slightly last year, Jim, and and then uh, Sean had the opportunity to get an on field position and a really kind of a temporary role for Brett Bielema over at Illinois. And then when it kind of presented itself again, here you have someone who, you know, is uh, right there uh, for for one of the best building pro uh, projects ever in college football history, and it just happens to be right here in the state of Kansas. So so how Kansas State was built under Coach Bill Snyder, what was done there. But Sean's got a you know an excellent reputation with in the special teams area, an area we want to improve on. So he's going to be involved in that. Um, he was involved in a meeting I was in early this morning about our, our, our renovation projects and building facilities that we have going on. Um, and he's going to be doing some other things. And again, and a lot of that also, I think, will will play into our Kansas relations and trying to get us in, in a better position. And whether it be with with relations in the state, recruiting and a lot of things. And I just thought it was too good an opportunity for our program not to take advantage of. Yeah, one thought, the renovations, by the way, from where I'm sitting, I've seen only pictures and video. They look great. In terms of Lance or I should say in terms of him, Sean. Hey, Lance, I understand why you would want him. I understand why he'd want to work with you. But what about Bill? Bill, of course, wants what's best for his son. But was he at all conflicted, or was him giving his blessing to his son to join an in-state rival an easy thing for him? Do you have any idea or any kind of uh, knowledge about how that went down? Um, 
you know, I, I sent him a text after the after the fact that uh, he's welcome here anytime um, with open arms coming and and uh, get his football fixed, so to speak. And he thanked me for that. Um, Coach Snyder has a relationship with our chancellor, Doug Gerard, and, and and actually before Sean came over for his first visit, he reached out to our chancellor and said that it was uh, he really appreciated the opportunity for Sean to visit with us about the opportunity, watch practice and uh you know, really thought it was nice that, you know, Sean's going to have the opportunity to stay, stay in college football this coming fall. So I took that as uh, definitely he put his blessing on it. You bet, Lance. What about the fact that the university re- rewarded you with a really nice contract extension and now you're set through 2029? To me, it seems like it's a huge vote of confidence from the school, but at the same time, it's a huge commitment from you to them as well. What is it about the school and the community in Lawrence that has you wanting to lay down roots and stay a while? Well, um, a great question because, you know, first of all, it shows a commitment that the chancellor, our athletic director, Travis Goff, have made uh, to Kansas football, which quite honestly hasn't been here like this before. And that was huge. And that was important to me uh, to see that that commitment to to see our stadium renovation project come through our football operations facility be improved. That was very important. Um, but for us, you know, we're, we're not even two years into this, Jim. And, and uh, my wife, Kelly, and I, our, our family, we love it here in Lawrence. Um, you know, we, we didn't come here for a cup of coffee. We came here to, to build this program and put it on a, on a, on a foundation for many years to come. And, and like I said, uh, and what we've been able to show in a short period of time, our staff and our players in a highly competitive balanced big 12 conference that if, if we stay the course, we can have success. You know, I'm so glad you brought the Big 12. I was going to ask you about that because as you get ready for the upcoming season, you're getting ready also for a revamped Big 12. As an example, September 23rd, you host BYU, who is going to play their first game as a member of the Big 12. And then the following week, you play Texas, who is going to be leaving for the SEC next year. It's all pretty wild. What do you make of this transition period for the conference? Yeah, it's going to be very unique, I think, and exciting at the same time. Uh, obviously, two two longtime members are are leaving, and and you know th- those effects will be felt the year after. But uh, as I'm seeing your show and highlights, we played Houston last year, and and have a chance to have to play. We played the other three new uh, new members this year. We played Houston last year, so I think we're going to get a feel of it right away, and and we know how how competitive and and what this conference was already adding these quality schools is even going to make it more exciting. And, and for a school like Kansas, I I believe Jim, it's going to help us in the recruiting area. I I think it's going to allow us to, to to have more of a name recognition football wise in the state of Florida, continue in Texas and, and, and branch out West even more. Lance, an extremely underrated yet awesome move of you to reference our highlights while answering a question. Very well played, Coach. I'm impressed. That was nicely done. Let me ask you before you go, (laughs) what about your pro day? You had a pro day recently. How did it go, and how did it feel compared to last year, a year later? Well, definitely night and day difference. I think we had probably 12 to 15 more teams. Uh, We had two players, uh, Lonnie Phelps, uh, edge player defensive end for us that that may transition to an outside backer 
um, and uh, Earl Bostic Jr. were uh, at the NFL Combine. Many, many came back to work them out again. But as uh, I, I think we'll have a few others, they're going to get some camp opportunities. And I think holistically, everything that we have just talked about, Jim, has started to kind of stack on, on top of each other that this program is being looked at differently. And I think it's going to help our players in the future and their future opportunities to play at the next level. He is the head football coach of Kansas, centering his third season there. Again, coming off a really effective year. They made it to a bowl game. They played a great bowl game. And again, Kansas is going to play its spring showcase game Friday and then open up their season officially August 31st against Missouri State. Their head coach is Lance Leipold. Lance, really appreciate it. Love you showing up like that. Great to have you on the show once again, Lance. Thanks so much. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Jim. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper or what's your beef? Now, one thing before I get into any of this. I need to go off the board with something. I'm not a guy who's looking to live and make a living as a hot take having blowhard. Not my deal. I know, kind of ironic that on the way up, I was the guy saying a bunch of things that pissed a lot of people off. But I'm not about that life. I'm not about saying things that I know I don't believe. I'm not about saying things that are made for... Nothing other than getting you to look at me, talk about me, click on me. I'm not about going viral. I'm just not about that fake life. I'm not about that contrived, manufactured, hot take life. I'm not. That said, I've got a really hot take. An extremely hot take. I'm going to start with a hot take. Listen very carefully because I may never utter anything this flaming ever again. This is straight lava. Except it's not my take. It belongs to somebody else. And it belongs to somebody on the crew, a member of the XR4TI. So when you think of the XR4TI and you think of lava, you think of a hot take, who do you think of? Do you think of Alvy? Do you think of Chalk? Do you think of... Jack Savage? No, when you think of Savage, you think of how many guys he's killed. Something he still will not answer. Do you think of James Kelly? Maybe. Getting warmer. No. The hottest take of the day came from none other than our stylist, Cindy. All hot take with it. She's in no way controversial. She's in no way polarizing. She's the best teamer ever. 
as I'm walking in studio, I have to admit, one of my new things is never complain about anything, ever. That's part of my reinvention. And obviously, I'm not succeeding, but I'm trying. That's like one of my core principles. Embrace everything. Embrace the suck. Embrace everything, good or bad. Never complain about anything. My, my printer. My printer sucks. Every day, my printer sucks. But I embrace that. It's always offline. I have no idea why. I embrace that. Find anything in my life that sucks. I embrace it. Gigantic roach on its back. Legs kicking in my office. I embrace that. Another opportunity for Alvin to come in and kill it. Air conditioning breaks. I embrace that. I'm sitting here in an ice box. I embrace that. There are dead rats floating in my grotto. I embrace that. I embrace everything. Nothing sucks. Everything's great. So, the hot take that I am referencing is, I've been trying to hydrate. I've been trying to drink a lot of water. I've always been a guy that, and Jack Savage is all about that. Savage loves that life. I've never been good at that. In fact, I've been pretty horrific at hydrating. So, I've been trying to drink a lot more water. And I have. But I'm not going to lie to you, man. I hate spending half my morning in the head. Sorry, kids. The bathroom. I dropped it on the kids the other day. Jake and Logan have no idea what the head is. I hate spending time in the restroom, and it's inevitable with all the water I'm drinking. Which brings me to Cindy's hot take. I muttered something about, here I am going back to my other office. Here we are. I hate this water life. She looks at me and she goes, water tastes great. I said, I'm sorry, what? She said, water tastes great. I said, Cindy, it's water. It has no taste. What? It's the ultimate non-taste. It's water. It has no taste whatsoever. The, the number one characteristic of water is it's tasteless. It has no taste. It's water. And she's just on this hill willing to die. You talk about a hill you want to die on. She's like, no, water tastes great. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing over there with your meditations and your affirmations and what you're telling yourself. Water does not taste great. It doesn't taste bad. It doesn't taste at all. And she basically almost followed me down the hallway into the studio to make sure that I heard it. Water tastes great. Cindy, with all due respect, you may in fact be the best XR4TIR ever. But that is a bad take, yo. No offense, Cindy. Water does not taste great. Water doesn't taste at all. It's water. There, there's your hot take. Water tastes great. The hell it does. It's savage just guzzling it in the back row, too. All right, tough number is toll free. 1-800 at her, not me. Apparently, Savage thinks that water tastes great. They're all walking around like water is a chocolate milkshake. They're all walking around like water is 1942 tequila. Water is water, yo. Water doesn't taste like anything. Yeah, and I know the benefits. That's why I'm doing it. Just don't tell me it tastes great. It doesn't. Brussels sprouts taste better than water. Spinach tastes better than water. Everything tastes better than water because water doesn't taste. Had no idea I would ever get so worked up about water. There's your open. React to me.
Yeah, water tastes great. A four-course meal of water. I'm going to chase that with some ice cubes. Ice cubes for the great dessert. 1-800-636-8686. Oh, that's it, Rome. I'm never listening ever again. I've listened to you for 20 years. I've had your back. Now you've gone too far. No, I haven't. Cindy has, though. Water tastes great. Cindy will be like, hey, you think that's great? You think water tastes great? No, Cindy, I don't. I don't think it tastes like anything at all. You think water tastes great, boss? Try it hot. Try hot water. Hot water is incredible. Hey, hey, you want to really splurge? You want to go full on heating? Squeeze some lemon into your water. Oh! Am I allowed to? Can I? Mmm. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. In fact, I would like to start this topic off with a very special thank you to John Elway. Thank you to John Elway. Exactly. Thank you, John Elway, for helping me. Thank you, John Elway. Thank you to John Elway. And Bronco fan, why am I showing the Duke so much love? It's because that on-again, off-again relationship of some 40 years with your franchise's most important figure is now officially off again. That's right. The man most responsible for your best moments ever and maybe some of your worst moments ever, is no longer employed by the orange and blue. According to Nine News Insider Mike Kliss, Elway had a conversation with the owner and CEO Greg Penner last month regarding his outside consultancy deal with the team and the fact that it was about to expire, and the two of them both agreed amicably to giddy up, horse face. Giddy up, horse face. Come on, come on. Come on. Look, I'm not here to hate. I've always thought that was kind of a funny drop, but I'm not here to hate. I will give this man the proper respect for the good that he did do that organization. First of all, without question, he is the most important figure, far and away the most important figure in the history of your franchise. And he did find success both on the field in leading that franchise to five Super Bowl appearances and two wins with the Lobster as head coach. Then... When he turned to football ops and he ran football ops, he did a good job there for a time. Yes, haters can say what they want about how his run ended as a decision maker, but you got to admit the guy started quickly. He started fast. He was on a heater. John Elway did draft Von Miller. John Elway did recruit and bring Pinky to town as he set NFL records ablaze. The books themselves ablaze. He capped his career and his last shining moment as a talent evaluator in winning Super Bowl 50. So, he won the brass ring as a player, and he got it as a talent evaluator. In retrospect, however, maybe Big John should have walked it off like Pinky did that February day back in 2016 after they beat Carolina. 
No, not by kissing Papa John the way Pinky did, but in kissing the game goodbye. Because as we know, and yes, it is part of the story, it only went downhill from there. It only got, quote, below not good. Below not good. For football ops, John, after that. And also, it was a little rich that according to Cliss, Elway did offer remaining on as a resource to Penner and to offer up his expertise on evaluating quarterbacks if and when necessary. <laughs> That's the weirdest thing to me about John Elway. The weirdest thing ever about John Elway is that he's one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. That's indisputable. One of the greatest quarterbacks ever to play the game, but one of the worst ever at evaluating other quarterbacks to play the game. It's so odd. One of the greatest QBs in the history of the NFL, and still some consider along with Andrew Luck to be the gold standard of draft prospects, could not draft or develop a quarterback if his life depended upon it. The dudes he went with and missed on is amazing. Check out this list. Trevor Simeon. Paxton Lynch. Brock Lobster. The Case Keenum experiment. Instead of using that year's fifth overall pick on a quarterback... You know, the one where Josh Allen went two picks later. Josh Allen. The real Joe Flacco. Hey! And not the fake Joe Flacco. Hey! Brandon Allen. Jeff Driscoll. Brett Rippin. Mark. I mean, not uh, Mark. Brett. Not Mark. Mark. Like their former coach thought. Even wideout Kendall Hinton played some QB. And then, of course, Drew Locke. I mean, just direct kick to the stick after direct kick to the stick. How could a guy who played the position at as high a level as anybody ever not be able to select, draft, and evaluate talent at all at that very same position? And no, Bronco fan, I did not add Teddy Bridgewater or that sack of potatoes, Cringe Wilson. Because that's on George Payton, not him. I got to say, an amazing run. A polarizing run. A legendary run, both good and bad. But that whole thing, I'll never, ever, ever understand how he could not select or draft or evaluate a quarterback when nobody played the position better than he did. Either way... A great run indeed, both good and bad. And now you can just gallop off into the sunset, or as they like to say, giddy up, horse face. No hard feelings. Come on. Hey, John, time to meet Mr. Rome. Giddy up, horse face. Come on, come on. No hard feelings. Come on, come on. Wild. 40 years. Some of the finest moments ever. Some of the worst moments ever. And that list of quarterbacks is incredible. I wonder if the new CEO, Penner, is like, hey, John, one more thing. Hey, John. Giddy up, horse face. Come on. Come horse on. Horse face. Horse face. Thank you to John Elway. Time to meet Mr. Rome. Giddy up, horse face. Come, come on. on. Come on. Horse face. Yeah, but what about 
What about Simeon? What about Paxton? What about, what about, what about Giddy up, horse face? Come horse on, face. come on. He is everywhere. He is Vincent Goodwill. Vincent, what's going on, dude? How are you? Hey, Jim, how are you? Good, man. How about you? I'm doing good, man. Ready for the playoffs. That's it, man. We are, right? Let me ask you this. Joel Embiid had a monster night last night, and he had it against Boston. He had it in a nationally televised game. So did he wrap up the MVP last night? Well, Doc Rivers seems to think he did, right? (laughs) We all know Doc is never wrong. So does Jim Rome. (laughs) So I do think that, Jim, when the margins are this thin and games are this close, that one game can tip the scales on national TV against Boston a 50-burger, uh, a possible playoff preview in where it looks like Nikola Jokic is ramping things down. It looks like Embiid is ramping things up. And shockingly, we've forgotten about Giannis. And I'm not going to turn this into a campaign speech, but isn't he the, isn't he the best player on the best team by far who's been without his second-best player all season long? Wouldn't that be a pretty good, uh, wouldn't that be a pretty good opening statement? if he were to go for your vote. But Joel Embiid, as far as the momentum, he's got all of the momentum right now. I mean, dude, you make an awesome argument. I can even argue for Joker that if you're .2 assists away from averaging a triple-double a night and you are the two-time defending champ already, that's a pretty good argument. I mean, imagine being a big man that's .2 assists away from averaging a triple-double a night and not winning the MVP. And I can see that happening, too. So it really is really interesting. What about the East itself? I mean, all the talk in the East has been about the Bucs and the Celtics. If Joel is right physically, are we then talking about a big three? And do you see the Sixers making a deep run if he is right? As bad as it is for me to say this, because I, I do like most of the individual pieces that Philadelphia has, I just don't see it. And it's not necessarily because they'll be playing play Boston in the second round. I would have doubts if they played Miami in the sixth spot in the first round, to be perfectly honest with you, Jim. And it's not that I think less of Joel Embiid. I just feel like they're a bad playoff matchup in some places. And for whatever reason, I don't know what we're going to get out of James Harden when the weather gets warm. Like this version of him that's turned into a super facilitator, it's nice. But you need a second guy who can get his own shot and do it at an elite level. Think about it. For Philadelphia last night, it took a 50 ball from Joel Embiid with no Jalen Brown and no Robert Williams III for them to barely beat the Boston Celtics. You can't count on that in a playoff series. And I'm not putting all this on Doc Rivers. I just think it's the roster construction and what you're relying on on your second, third, and fourth best players. Right, and matchups themselves. Vincent Goodwill joining us. So, Vince, Luca is pushing back on the notion, but what do you make of reports that the Mavericks want to shut both he and Kyrie down? And in your opinion, should they? Uh, Put it like this. You've had 78 games to make yourself a bona fide playoff team, right? The last four, whatever the last four turn out to be, is not going to change anything. You owe the New York Knicks a draft pick. You have limited assets. You've gone all in on Kyrie Irving, right? Whether that's right or whether that's wrong, that's the path that you've gone down. So you're going to need that that cost-effective draft pick. Remember, we think of Mark Cuban as being – sorry about the little ambient noise. We think of Mark Cuban as being the guy – who pretty much spends all hell, right? He's never going into the luxury tax. He doesn't do that. So if you're going to get Kyrie Irving $40 million a year, $50 million a year for however long it is, that doesn't leave you much in the way of filling out team needs. So if you owe the Knicks a draft pick and it's pretty much set in stone that it's top 10 protected and you don't have anything else, 
yeah, shut those guys down. You were once fourth in the West. You're now out of the play-in. It's kind of time. Listen, as far as ambient sound goes, I love ambient sound. Don't worry about that. That's never something you have to apologize for. That makes it better, not worse. So what about that? They were the four seed when Kyrie arrived, and now they're on the outside looking in. I'm not saying it's all his fault. Some it's got to be his fault. But going forward, where does that leave Kyrie and the Mavs? What do they both do going forward? That's a great question, Jim, because here's the thing, and I've been hard on Kyrie, but I've been fair on Kyrie. So one thing I will not do here is bag on Kyrie. I don't think this is any of his fault. He's a plus 88 in the minutes that he's played. Luka's like a minus 60. So Luka hasn't played well with Kyrie Irving. You know who plays, you know who plays well with Luka? Hardly anybody. You see Kristaps Porzingis playing better in Washington. You see Jalen Brunson turning into a franchise point guard in New York. They couldn't make those things happen playing alongside Luka Doncic. So as far as moving forward with Kyrie Irving, guess what? It's the choice that you made, and it's not Kyrie's fault because what wound up happening was, Jim, you traded assets that you couldn't afford to trade. You traded wing defenders and Dorian Finney-Smith, a guy that helped you with your identity, a guy that didn't need the ball, and you traded him for a guy that did. And Kyrie, for all of everything that he does and doesn't do, we've never confused him for being a defender. That's like dating a woman that you know has wandering eyes and you mad that she's looking around at the next dude across the street. That's your fault, not hers. I think this all makes sense. I can't argue any of that. Is there any reason to believe that with time it'll get better between those two, or does that just not fit? I think it could get better because we've seen it work with Kyrie have being successful around ball dominant guys. For a very short period of time, it worked with James Harden. For a very successful period of time, it worked with LeBron James. If Luka Doncic commits to coming to camp in shape and coming off the ball a little bit more, I do think it can work. Now the question is, can you commit to Kyrie Irving for five years after a couple of months of good behavior. That's a question that Nico Harrison and Mark Cuban and Jason Kidd have to ask themselves. Do we want to commit ourselves to this guy with his injury history and some of the other things in his jacket and hoping that this is going to be a pattern of good behavior down the line? Those are bigger questions to me rather than the on-court fit because on the floor, when Kyrie's available and he's there, He's usually okay. So, Vince, let's let's address that question really quickly. I think that's a great question. Can you commit to a guy for five years on the basis of two months of good behavior? I'm not sure you can. Would you? It would be very difficult for me to do that, even though I think Jason Kidd feels like he has an open door with Kyrie. But a lot of people felt like they had an open door and a great relationship with him. I'm not saying that those things didn't happen, but here's the thing that does work in the Dallas Mavericks' advantage. He's not coming there as a second-hand piece with Kevin Durant. And I felt like because he came in there as a almost a stepchild in a relationship with Kevin Durant, knowing that they really didn't want him as in the Brooklyn Nets, he's always felt like he had to carve out his space. He always felt like he had to carve out his turf. That's not the case in Dallas. He's not having to carve out his turf, and he knows that they actually wanted him there. So maybe because of that relationship starting off on better footing, Maybe because Kyrie Irving knows he doesn't have many more contracts beyond this one and there's no other anchor to tie him to like a Kevin Durant, maybe you can. But do I give him a full five-year max? That's a very hard thing for me to do, Jim. Vincent Goodwill joining us. Vince, you mentioned Kevin Durant. If KD is anywhere near 100%, are they the ones to beat in the West or maybe even overall? If, if you show me the last time a healthy Kevin Durant has lost in the postseason, and had reasonable help around him. Like, we can say a lot of things about Kevin Durant, the whole bus driver conversation and everything else, but when you're a seven-footer with handle, who can get his shot off, who can still help you defensively, and still looks like himself, Jim, you tell me who's betting against him. Jim, I'll tell you this much. 
I'm going out west for the first round of the playoffs, and I'm going to whatever series the Phoenix Suns are playing against, whether it's Golden State, the Lakers, or the Clippers, and I'm not betting against Phoenix in all of those series, not because of Chris Paul or Devin Booker, but because of Kevin Durant. Now, listen, if this guy's right, if this guy's right, he's impossible for me to bet against this time of year, no doubt about that. I mean, I, I don't love everything he says and does, but from a basketball standpoint, you're right, there's nobody like him. There's nobody like him and almost nobody who's ever been like him. Vince, before you go, a couple of the other teams you mentioned, what about the Lakers? LeBron has been talking openly and in broad daylight about another championship run. Do you think that the rebuilt Lakers are built for another deep playoff run? Maybe, maybe not this year. But because, uh, Jim, here's the thing. I understand why people look at the West as food. I can understand why Golden State says when we get Andrew Wiggins back, who's going to beat us? Or the Clippers saying if we get ourselves right because the West is mediocre. So that, with that said, I can see LeBron looking at the Western Conference and saying, you give me two months of Anthony Davis, you give me Austin Reeves, who was termed unstoppable by Sports Illustrated uh, last week, which I thought was kind of laughable. But you give LeBron a healthy period of time. The problem is, Jim, those two guys don't stay healthy for long stretches of time. Why? Because LeBron is old and Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis. That's just what it is. But I can see the confidence because of the way that they play, not only with LeBron, but without him. I just can't see them staying together by duct tape for four playoff rounds. That's asking a bit too much. Right. So, Vince, what about Andrew Wiggins? He just mentioned how critical is it that Golden State gets him back, and does he make them a legitimate threat to repeat? I hate to say, yeah. And I don't hate to – I mean, I hate to say it as in I don't want it to happen, but I'm surprised that a player like that holds that much weight because Andrew Wiggins, as good of a player as he is, is no superstar, but he fills in the holes of everything that Golden State needs. We've seen that Klay Thompson is not a quote-unquote superstar anymore. Jordan Poole is a really good scorer. Draymond Green has his moments. This is Steph in the Jackson 5, and we've shown that Steph in the Jackson 5 can make a deep run and get to the finals. And if that means Andrew Wiggins as a plug-and-play, 40% three-point shooter and guy who can defend a bunch of different positions can help take a little bit of load off of each one of those individual guys, maybe it can. Oh, dude, I think the guy's critical. I mean, he might not be that super, super Nova, but he was so critical in that run last year, and he can do so many things to help. I think it's so important. I agree with you. I agree with you. Listen, Vince, it is already an extremely tired old topic, but I want to get your thoughts on this. I've made my thoughts pretty clear on it, but go ahead and weigh in. Was Angel Reese in any way petty or classless for mocking Caitlin Clark the way she did when she did. Can I get your thoughts? Petty, yes. Classless, who cares? I'm not – here's the thing. I think, and this could be going a bit in the weeds, I think whenever people try to talk about class, they use it as a way to control black people and expressing our emotions. I don't think it was out of bounds because, hey, you can't – here's the other thing, Jim. Can you tell a woman how to express her emotions, even in an athletic endeavor? I feel like that's, a, that's kind of a bridge too far for me. It makes me a little bit uncomfortable. And if we had, if we loved Caitlin Clark for doing all the things that she did as far as propping up the game, I have zero problem with, A, Angel looking at that and saying, hey, I was the National Player of the Year last year. Nobody's talking about me or our team. And if we get this W, I'm going to flex and then her flexing. You have a problem with her flexing, stop her from winning. I don't have a problem with any of it. I thought it was all awesome. And by the way, it's awesome for the women's game. Like, already the yeah. ratings were through the roof. 
People were talking about it. People were loving it. This is the best thing that could happen because we're still we're still talking about it, dude. I'm asking you, somebody on the NBA midweek after this has happened. This is yep. all good. This is all good. Vince, one more thing on the way out the door because you sure. also this is right in your wheelhouse. Isaiah Thomas is still waiting on an apology from Mike <laughs> for how Mike did him in the Last Dance documentary. Do you think that he's ever going to get one? Probably not, but I completely understand why if you're Isaiah Thomas, you feel slighted multiple times. Here's the one thing I will say. Isaiah Thomas appeared in that documentary because somebody asked him to, and it wasn't me or you, Jim. And if that somebody asked you to be on his documentary and then goes on to the documentary and calls you an a-hole, you probably have every right to feel upset. Uh, dude, 100%. I've been there before. Like, because when they sell you on it, they're like, oh, we love you. Mike loves you. I don't know what they said to Isaiah, but I've been there before when somebody's been all about, hey, man, we want you. We need you. You're going to make it better. So-and-so loves you, and then they do you all wrong. Oh, I know why he's pissed. Absolutely. But I also think and- that it's foolhardy, Vince, to think that Mike's <laughs> ever going to apologize to him publicly, right? Michael Jordan is the pettiest person on the face of the earth. And one thing Isaiah gets pissed about, rightfully so, that Isaiah gets vilified for being ruthless, right? He was a ruthless competitor, ruthlessly petty, everything else. And Michael Jordan showed you how ruthlessly competitive he was and petty he was, and he gets lauded for it. I could see him saying, looking at the Spider-Man meme and saying, hey, we're the same dude here, except one guy gets praised for it and I get crucified for it. I was going to say, they're the same dude. They're the same dude, minus the number of rings. So, Vince, on the way out the door, define it for me. Is petty a good thing or a bad thing? I like petty. Do you like petty? I love petty. I'm a black man from Detroit. I live off of petty, Jim. It, is dri- it has driven me for my career and my life, okay? It is the fuel. It is the wind beneath my wings, okay? My man. I love it. He's an NBA writer for Yahoo Sports, host of the Good Word podcast on Yahoo Sports' Ball Don't Lie channel, host on Sirius XM NBA as well. Another great, great showing. Vince, appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you, Jim. I appreciate you. Good night now!